welcome to another episode of the Journal of Isakos podcast. My name is Dr. Andreas Voss and together with Dr. Manas Briljakis, we are more than happy to have Dr. Martina Barzan from Austria with us today, who is working at the Griffith Center of Biomedical and Rehabilitation Engineering at the Griffith University in Queensland. In this episode, we will discuss a recently published article in the Journal of Isakos talking about the predictors of recurrent patellar dislocation in children and adolescents. Hello Martina and thank you for your time to join our podcast. So maybe you can tell us a few words about your clinical and scientific background. Hi Andy and Manos, uh, my name is Shiana Main. Um, I'm sitting with Martina Bazan and um, we're just recording the answers to the questions that you have asked us about our paper that was recently published in the Aegis um, So as I said, I'm a um, paediatric um, orthopaedic surgeon working in Brisbane, Australia. I also have an interest in limb reconstruction surgery and um, my work in research has been predominantly around the patellofemoral joint and in trying to determine the biomechanics um, of the joint in various situations and I've been doing work with Martina around this and it was actually the um, main focus of her PhD so I'll let her talk about that. <laughs> Thanks Fiona, my name is Martina and I'm a research fellow at Griffith University uh, I moved to Australia in 2015 to do my PhD with Dr. Main and Associate Professor Chris Garvey and Professor David Lloyd. The aim of our research was to understand the mechanism behind uh, recurrent patellar dislocation in young patients. Um, and it was um, a great experience for me to, to collaborate with Shana and to, um, to broaden my clinical knowledge. So um, your second question is uh, regarding our motivation for the work and um, I developed my interest in the patellofemoral joint after um, one of my failures of an MPFL reconstruction that I performed on a um, adolescent girl who I had followed the um, evidence and the rationale for reconstruction at the time. Um, regardless of that, whether it was a technical failure or not, um, she re-ruptured her graft and it motivated me to try and understand exactly what factors contribute towards uh, patellofemoral joint dislocation in individual patients. And I guess my background in limb reconstruction lends me a slightly different approach to what the standard assessment algorithms might be. Um, we tried to uh, incorporate this into Martina's research and I might let her talk a little bit about um, how or what factors we feel contribute towards patellofemoral dislocations in this age group. Martina? My motivation for this work was really to have a more comprehensive understanding of all the factors that contribute to dislocation rather than uh, having a simplistic approach which consider um, each parameter in isolation. So the way we approached this project was to really uh, understand the mechanism behind uh, patellar dislocation and this includes um, consideration of the overall limb alignment, um, the tibiofemoral joint kinematic as well and uh, the contribution of the soft tissue. According to your inclusion criteria, you also examine patients at the age of 8 years. Since these patients are not yet fully grown, 
there is a probability of an excess changes in the further growth. How do you account for these possible changes, especially in females? So very interesting and complex question there and one that we often deal with in paediatric orthopaedics. So I guess um, what I do have to say is I agree totally that there is um, going to be an axis change if you're looking at the coronal plane in the mechanical axis. Um, from a limb reconstruction point of view and deformity correction surgery, we look at axes in all three planes. So we not only look at the coronal plane, we look at the axial plane and the sagittal plane. So as females in particular approach puberty, um, we do see a bit of a change in the mechanical axis, often into valgus. This doesn't have to be in um, females in isolation, it's a genetic thing and some men or um, adolescent boys will also develop valgus knees um, during their prepubertal growth spurt. Uh, from a patellofemoral point of view, we want to do everything to ensure that they are not in valgus at skeletal maturity. And so we do manage the coronal plane using techniques such as guided growth. And it is one of the things that I look at um, in adolescent patients because guided growth is a very low morbidity um, technique that will affect a massive change in the biomechanics of the patellofemoral joint. So um, that is the coronal plane, but we don't only look at that. We look at the sagittal plane, which is not so relevant here other than considering patella alta, and then the axial plane as well. So. If you're looking at torsional abnormalities in the limbs, usually torsional changes occur up until the age of eight. And Stahili has shown that once patients reach the age of eight, seven or eight years old, rotational alignment is fairly well set. So um, we can alter rotational alignment if we have to. Obviously, it's much more invasive surgery. And um, it's something that can contribute greatly, I think, towards patellofemoral dislocation. So you do have to look for it. Um, in this specific context, however, um, once the age of eight has been reached, it's usually just the coronal plane that you have to look at. This is very interesting. So for our next question, in your study you examined a lot of parameters which account for patella instability, such as tibial femoral torsion, tibial tubercle to trochlear groove distance, lateral patella tilt, and so on. How do you interpret these parameters in a skeletally immature child? Again, a complex question and the question I think delves a little bit deeper than those parameters that you've listed because you have to interpret everything in the context of the patient that you're looking at. And this is the crux of the research that we're trying to conduct really is because we're trying to adopt a very individualized approach. So when we're assessing a patient, um, we don't want to just look at those specific factors. We need to look at everything that's involved, um, including the bony factors, the soft tissue factors, the potential for growth, and then also the potential for neuromuscular control of the joint itself. So um, in the skeletally immature patient, you're not doing anything differently than you would in the adult in assessing those factors, but you're purely allowing for the fact that this child has the potential to grow. I think there is a big, um, you have to be aware that any or all of those factors can change with growth. Um, and I think you have to have a, um, 
approach that allows your child to have a good quality of life in childhood because we know that a lot of children with recurrent dislocations in particular suffer greatly when it comes to their quality of life, their sporting interests and their social development. And I think that withholding treatment until they reach skeletal maturity is absolutely the wrong thing to do um, because there are techniques that we can use in children to improve their quality of life and their function um, without compromising their long-term care and it may even improve their long-term function by preventing arthrosis of the patellofemoral joint long-term. And you also showed that CSA and BOR currently identify 89.4% of patellar dislocation. So once you define the RPD in a child, what do you recommend? Wait and see or do you recommend surgery? And if so, at which time point do you recommend surgery? So when we define recurrent patellofemoral dislocation in a child, what do we recommend? Do we wait and see or do we recommend surgery? And if so, when do we operate? Um, so as I alluded to in the previous answer, um, I don't recommend just waiting in every case. I think this is a very individual situation and you have to have a good discussion with the family and the child about what their level of function is and how they are or whether they're incapacitated by the um, dislocations. I do see children who roll over in bed and dislocate their patellas routinely. Um, they're not able to participate in sports, some of them are suicidal. I think that um, the algorithm for surgery depends on a very thorough assessment of the biomechanical factors that are causing their dislocations and determining which of those factors are correctable in childhood and which of those factors are best left until skeletal maturity. So um, on that point, the article that we wrote showed that cartilage sulcus angle and bisect offset ratio are the two main predictors of dislocation. However, we also felt that the bisect offset ratio was really a consequence of the other morphological factors present within the patellofemoral joint that cause a lateral um, force vector to be directed across the patella. So on that note, um, my current feeling is that in the child, uh, you use the TT to TG distance in combination with the cartilage sulcus angle to look at the intrinsic um, factors that contribute to a lateral patellofemoral force vector. And then the external factors that contribute include the overall limb alignment in both the coronal and axial planes. So when you look at those factors combined with the soft tissue laxity of the medial patellofemoral ligament um, and possible tightness of the lateral ligamentous structures, there are things that obviously you can alter in childhood and are best done in childhood, such as guided growth to correct um, tibiofemoral valgus. You can also reconstruct the MPFL, you can derotate a femur. Um, however, you can't transfer a tibial tubercle, you can't perform a trochlearoplasty. So, it very much becomes an um, individual assessment um, of that patient and the surgery performed depends upon what is possible and whether the patient is ready um, to undertake the implications of that surgery. What is your workup algorithm if a child, let's say male and nine years old, presents with an acute first-time patella dislocation? Do you assess all these parameters? 
So the next question, um, what is your workup algorithm if a child, let's say male and nine years old, presents with an acute first time patellar dislocation? Do you assess all these parameters? So in short, uh, yes I do, but in children I try not to go too hard on um, x-rays um, and further investigations uh, in case of a first time patellar dislocation. So, um, if a nine-year-old child presents with a traumatic first-time patellar dislocation that occurs with a high-energy injury on a rugby field, I have a look at them and I assess their coronal plane alignment, their foot progression angle, whether they have squinting patellae and then how apprehensive they are and whether they have a J-sign clinically. And based on this, I decide what their likelihood of further dislocation is going to be. Um, the only rationale to go on with an MRI is if they have a possible osteochondral injury and if their knee has settled down and they really don't have any further symptomatology, their patella is not particularly unstable clinically, I would not go on to do any further workup and I would get the child to a good physiotherapist for further rehabilitation. If that same child, however, has had a low energy traumatic dislocation and um, has perhaps had a twisting injury while walking, their patellas popped out. They obviously have coronal plane um, malalignments, they have femoral valgus, they have potentially some femoral antiversion, they have a um, contralateral leg that looks similar with a parents that have also dislocated the patella, then that's a very different situation. And so I would go on to perform a little bit more investigation of that patient and make a judgment on whether they are likely to dislocate again. I would still not operate for a first time dislocator as I believe they should all have the opportunity to do some good rehabilitation and assess their activity. So I would be counselling the parents carefully about what to expect and um, whether the child has any further subluxation episodes or whether the child feels particularly apprehensive about getting back to sport. I'd make sure I reviewed the patient and um, saw them back to really assess their quality of life and function in the future. Thank you, Martina. And our last question will be, what is your take home message out of your clinical background and regarding to your publication? Uh, well, uh, we recently performed a systematic review on the parameters that were used uh, to assess children with uh, patellar dislocation and we found that um, most of the studies in the literature included just some of the parameters, especially TT to TG distance or the most common ones. We do believe that um, we need a much more comprehensive assessment we, and this assessment will include the patellofemoral joint anatomy as well as the patellofemoral joint function and if we combine the anatomy and the function we will find the best uh, treatment outcome for our patients. Thank you Martina. Um, from a surgical perspective and a research perspective, I guess I would like to emphasize the need to perform, to also perform comprehensive analysis of our patients, which involves um, assessment of the extrinsic alignment of the lower limb in both the coronal, axial and sagittal planes. Um, that will also include both bone and soft tissue factors, so um, the quadriceps torsion angle which we've recently published on and the um, presence of medial laxity from MPFL rupture and the more 
uh, sorry, the less common um, presence of lateral ligamentous tightness in the in the younger population. And in combination with that, the presence of intrinsic um, malalignment and dysplasia of the patellofemoral joint. Um, and I think importantly in the literature that is coming out, we need to not regard all the current patellofemoral dislocators as one homogenous group of patients because uh, from a clinical point of view and seeing these patients on a daily basis, they are not a homogenous group. So if we try to lump them all into the same treatment algorithm, we're going to fail with our research and we're generating meaningless results. If we don't assess each of these parameters for every single patient that we approach, we're going to miss something and I think the outcomes of our surgery and our research will be far worse off um, for that fact. Dear Martina, thank you once again for taking part in our uh, podcast series. We are more than happy. Uh, to have your input uh, about your publication and hopefully we have you back for a next uh, podcast with your next publication. This was Associate Professor Dr. Andreas Voss from the University Hospital of Regensburg in Germany on behalf of the Journal of Isakos. We hope to have you back for our next episode. The views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of the society or the journal.